Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. Hey guys, and welcome to Moms and Murder, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hey, Mandy. How are you? I'm great. How are you? <laughs> we're such liars. No, we're not. <laughs> it has been a wild week of sicknesses for both of us, and um, we've recorded this episode once already, and we just weren't happy with the sound quality because we recorded it um, separately from each other. So now we are together, and we're going to redo it, and we're going to power through, and it's going to be great. And we have how many hours to get this out, Melissa? Basically six. So um, this will be this will be something. Yes. So <laughs> tonight, uh, Mandy's husband has a function. So we're at Mandy's house. My husband has all four children at Chick-fil-A. So a special, it. <laughs> special thank you to my husband, who is taking all the children to get ice cream. Because the one thing you should do with children is sugar them up, give them as much sugar as yes. possible and then stick them in a van. So of course. <laughs> <laughs> we're monsters. So before we get started, a couple quick announcements. Um, our dear friend, Lori Kay in our Facebook group, she is the first person to reach out to us on Facebook, Twitter, anywhere and said she liked our show and we basically thought she was a liar or um, <laughs> like we just didn't believe it. And I remember sending it to Mandy and like freaking out, and we were so excited. So um, she got married this weekend. We saw pictures. So beautiful. A, like crazy beautiful. Just, it made me sick in the best way. She looked yeah. amazing. So <laughs> they're off in Mexico for their honeymoon, so I hope they are enjoying that. Um, also, last week we 
taped with um, Carrie with Sip and Shine podcast. We covered a story I had never heard of, Mandy had not heard of before. Not murder, but true crime. Um, it was about Barbara Mackle, I believe. Yes. Is her name? Um, crazy story. Something that I just can't even believe we haven't heard because it's like way in our wheelhouse. So we talked to her and that should be out in the next week or two. And we were also guests this week on Film Roast. And that is a lovely uh, podcast hosted by Hannah and Julia who talk about films. And we don't know much about films, but we know what we like. And we talked about true crime documentaries. So if you want like a an official true crime documentary list with some spoilers mixed in, make sure you check out that episode. It came out this past week. So Mandy, are you ready to I, again? <laughs> I think so. Do this episode. Yeah. And hopefully not pass these germs back and get like new strains of sickness. Yeah. Although we did joke around and say that if we could just keep getting this stomach bug, it's like the best diet ever. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll be looking summer ready. Yeah. yeah. So we have a very fascinating case this week, but before we get started, let's hear a word from our sponsor. Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing Dash Pass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With Dash Pass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, Dash Pass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With Dash Pass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for Dash Pass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. Dash Pass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with Dash Pass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for Dash Pass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for Dash Pass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. So this is, I think, the fourth week um, that we have played this ad um, for this sponsor. I just want to remind you guys that the um, offer for the giveaway is ending and will be drawn on April 30th. So we will find out who the lucky winner of that wonderful prize package is going to be. And I am really excited to yeah. find out who wins that. Maybe it's one of our aliases. Who knows? Yeah. No. <laughs> Okay, guys, so get your pen and paper ready. This week is – there's a lot going on. There's a lot of names, um, a lot of J names. Oh, man. <laughs> as Melissa pointed out to me. Yeah. And there's a lot of information here. I know one time we joked about getting out your Oprah's Dream Journal to keep mental notes of all of these things, or I guess physical notes of everything. Um, this is one of those cases. You're going to want to do that this week because there's a lot going on. But um, 
it all comes full circle in the end. So if you can stay with us. Like the Lion King. It's full circle. Yeah. So it might not make a lot of sense at first. (laughs) (laughs) That's how we sell ourselves. We don't really make a lot of sense. But in the end, you'll be like, okay, maybe they knew what they were talking about. So today we're going to be talking about the murder of a 16-year-old girl named Martha Puebla. I know we usually steer clear of cases involving the death of children, so this is a little bit different this week, but the story is really fascinating, and it kind of brought out a lot of emotion uh, from me on so many levels, so we hope you guys will enjoy it. We're making an exception this week. Um, Please don't send us little cases of small children who have been murdered. It's just no. not going to happen. Yeah, no. Sorry. This is, this, is, this is pushing it. This is the exception. Right. So this episode was inspired by the documentary called Long Shot that aired on Netflix and followed the story of Juan Catalan, the man who was accused of murder in the case of Martha Puebla. It's a fantastic documentary that I highly recommend, but after watching it, I kind of felt like I wanted to know more about Martha's actual murder, which they only touched on briefly in the documentary. The documentary was really about Juan and his experience um, being accused of this crime and the events that took place after that. So I wanted to go down a little bit deeper and find out a little bit more about what actually happened to Martha Puebla. And so hopefully if you guys are familiar with the documentary, then you'll still get to hear some information that you didn't know. Oh, yeah. I didn't know most of this. It's very glazed over. I mean, I have some parts in the documentary I love, but you got all new information. It's really, really great. Mandy did a great job, guys. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You're going to want me to edit that, but I don't have enough time. So... Okay, so before we get into the case, it's time for this week's We Yelped This City. Melissa, what do you got for me? (laughs) So thank you for being so enthusiastic. I promise this one is more relevant than last week. I went on a lot of rabbit chases, rabbit down rabbit holes. Rabbit holes? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Lots of things just went wrong. I don't even know how to say the phrase, so you can imagine. So um, this week, we are traveling to the city of LA, the city of angels, Los Angeles. Um, And I just did a little bit of quick information on LA. Um, Los Angeles has around 4 million residents. I also read that there are actually more cars in LA than there are people. These are Googled facts, guys. I don't know that they are true, but I'm really trying. (laughs) (laughs) So by comparison, LA has 4 million residents. Here in Orlando, we only have 277,000, which made it feel really small in Orlando, which I kind of always assumed we were a little bit bigger. Well, last week during We Yelp This City, we also said Orlando's population, but it seemed big in comparison to... Newton, Kansas, right? Was it Newton? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this is... It's hard to be on this end of it. (laughs) Yeah. So um, I also looked, because we have lovely listeners in Australia, there are around 5 million people that live in Sydney, Australia by comparison, and 8.8 million people that live in London, England. So we might not have said your city or your region, but... I'm trying, guys. I'm really trying. (laughs) So um, a couple quick facts about L.A. The iconic Hollywood sign um, that you see in movies and stuff, it actually started off by saying Hollywood Land. Um, From 1923 to 1949, that's what the sign said. It was actually built as an advertising, or an advertisement rather, for a suburban housing development called Hollywood Land. As things took off in L.A., they dropped land said, screw you guys. We're just going to call it Hollywood. Good luck with your housing development. So um, another quick fact, if you ever visit the LA coroner's office, why would you? Don't know. I hope you don't have to. (laughs) And I hope if you go, you're there as a visitor, not as a like kind of resident there. I don't know what you would even call yourself. 
A resident at the coroner's office? Well, I guess it sounds yeah. like really, really terrible. A customer, maybe. <laughs> but um, so if you go and you forget your camera and you can't take a picture, don't worry. There is a gift shop in the LA coroner's office, which seems, mm. from what I know about TV and stuff, it seems very LA. It's very bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> See, it's not just Florida. And speaking of LA, LA is home to people of all types in the world of celebrity. And there's some that are so near and dear to our heart, like our queen, Ali Sweeney, Sir Josh Mankiewicz, and someone that comes up in today's episode, Mr. Larry David. So the story begins in the wee hours of the morning on November 27th, 2002. Martha Playbla was at her home in her bedroom, staying up late doing whatever it is teenagers do in the middle of the night, which... As a teenager, Melissa would be sleeping or like reading a babysitter's club book, really just living the life. <laughs> I used to get in trouble as a teenager. Um, my dad actually was an air traffic controller, so he would do a couple times a month, he would have to work the overnight shift right. in the tower. And so I was like 17 and I would just be home all by myself on like Wednesday nights and Saturday nights, um, like once or twice a month. So yeah, I could, I could probably see that I could be... Awake at 1 a.m. doing whatever teenagers do in the middle of the night. Goodness gracious. <laughs> so shortly before 1 a.m., a female friend of Martha's and a male friend named Christian Vargas pulled up to Martha's house. Christian stayed inside his car while the girl went to knock on Martha's window to see if she wanted to come outside to hang out. At 1 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> I know. My parents would have been so mad. I know, right? <laughs> so while the two girls were talking, gunshots rang out. The female friend jumped inside of Martha's window and took cover for several minutes before returning to the car to find that Christian had been shot and was dying in the driver's seat of the car. He was just 19 years old. The detectives quickly established gang violence as a motive after early interviews led them to a 19-year-old member of the Vineland Boys Gang named Jose Ledesma, or as fellow gang members called him, Pips. So this gang, Violent Boys, was formed in the mid-80s when some rebellious members of another gang called the 18th Street Gang decided to leave and form their own thing. Uh, the name Violent Boys came from where this group of um, this group of people um, played basketball on Violent Street in North Hollywood. The 18th Street Gang and the Violent Boys have been rivaling ever since this betrayal. Um, the gang was originally started by high schoolers in 9th and 10th grade and... Children can't run anything, much less a gang. <laughs> so they apparently made a lot of mistakes and didn't follow these rules that are apparently established and laid out that govern all of the Southern California street gangs. So I had no idea there was gang codes of ethics like, yeah. that they couldn't couldn't do things, um, but there are. And so the Violin Boys did not follow these rules. And these rules were set by the Mexican Mafia prison gang. So... The top dogs, I guess, right. if you will. <laughs> well, if you watch 60 Days and you would really recognize that there is a hierarchy and there's only so much you can get done with a honey bun in jail if you're not already established <laughs> with a gang. So the Violent Boys were eventually blacklisted from gangdom. I don't know if that's a word. We're making it a word now. Uh, and everyone wanted to kill them, I guess. I, I'm not really sure how that works. Um after one of the original founders of the gang was killed, they tried to make nice with the Mexican mafia and they became extremely violent while they tried to establish themselves as legitimate. 
Eventually, they got friendly with the Armenian power gang to obtain assault weapons, and they became big on the meth distribution scene. So all this talk about meth and air traffic controllers and stuff reminds me very much of Breaking Bad. Best show ever. Best show ever. Yeah. So thanks for bringing everything back to television for me. In June of 2005, Operation Silent Night was underway. The mission was to dismantle the Violent Boys gang, and many agencies were involved. There were six local police agencies, the FBI, the DEA, U.S. Marshals, and the IRS, who took down over 35 gang members over the course of two years. The Violent Boys have since been forced into complying with the traditional gang conduct and regulation enforced by the Mexican Mafia. So it's all on the up and up now. I love that the IRS was involved in all this. Yeah, like, yeah, like, I know. What is what is their role in all of this? And the IRS. Okay, I guess they're just involved in everything. Death and taxes. So Jose Ledesma was part of this particular gang, and he was believed to be responsible for the shooting of Christian Vargas. When Jose caught wind that the police were on to him and had even been to his house, he decided to cross the border and check into a hotel in Tijuana. With him during this excursion was 25-year-old Mario Catalan, a friend and fellow gang member who had also been present for the murder of Christian Vargas the night before. The two had also been involved in previous shootings together as well. After two days on the run and hiding south of the border, Mexican police were alerted to a domestic altercation taking place, and when they responded to the call, they found Jose, Mario, and Mario's girlfriend hanging out drunk. When questioned, the girlfriend immediately told police that Jose and Mario were wanted for murder in California. Didn't take her very long to give that up. No. She's like, you want me? Well, guess who you want really? Get after them. So hours later, the two men were taken back to the LAPD station for booking. Mario Catalan had about $3,200 in cash on him when he was arrested. That's where the IRS could come in, uh, which he said he intended to use to bribe Mexican police to protect them from the U.S. authorities. I just feel like you need a little more than than like $3,000. Yeah, I mean, For, I, have, I mean, if you're trying to like get them get away with murder, yeah, you would think you'd come with a little bit more cash. If you're trying to bribe people to be like, yeah, don't send me back to the U.S. Right. Here's a twenty. Right. <laughs> I guess it depends on who you run into. Right. So both of the men were charged with the murder of Chris Vargas, as well as attempted murder in a different shooting case in North Hollywood. Jose was also being charged in a separate shooting and would potentially be facing the death penalty if he was found guilty of committing multiple murders. He was held without bail, and Mario Catalan had his bail set at $1.25 million. That's not too bad, right? No. Jump change. <laughs> the detectives pieced the case together quickly by tying the getaway vehicle to the scene of multiple crimes and matching the bullet casings from two crime scenes to the same 9mm handgun. So I'm sure you guys are all probably wondering what any of this has to do with the murder of Martha Puebla, but I promise all of this is relevant and we're getting there. We're getting there. (laughs) Um, So during the interrogation, detectives Martin Pinner and Juan Rodriguez tried to coax a confession out of Jose, but he denied having anything to do with the murder. At this point, the detectives decided to try a different tactic and they pulled out what they call a photo six pack. So this is just when you see like six mug shots on a piece of paper and I guess they show these two um, uh, victims or right. witnesses. witnesses, and they can try to get them to identify who they believe caused this crime or did this, you know, did them wrong. Right. So it's not photos of Chris Pratt's stomach or right. like Miller Lights. <laughs> right. I know it's a fun, fun little name to call I it a photo it. six pack, but yeah. yeah, it's it's not quite as exciting yeah. as a real six pack. There you go. <laughs> so um so they showed him this photo six pack and in in 
on this page, his photo was circled. And there was a handwritten note in the margin that said, this is the guy that shot my friend's boyfriend. And it was signed by Martha Puebla. And she had also initialed, um, you know, as if she had circled the Right. Circled his photo and then it did like she's put her confirming initials on all it. of this. Right, exactly. So the detectives told Jose that they knew he had been the shooter and that they would use Martha Puebla's testimony to prove it. So the detectives eventually gave up on trying to get a confession out of the two men and the interrogation came to an end. But the officers still had another trick up their sleeve. They had searched the car that the men had driven over the border to Mexico and found the handgun that was likely used in the murder. The detectives hoped that the two men would crack under the pressure of the evidence mounting against them, and they placed them in a holding cell together while a hidden microphone recorded everything they said. The idea was that they would say something to incriminate themselves, and it would be caught on mic. The tactic worked, and Mario told Jose about the gun right away. Right away. Like, can't wait two seconds. You know, can't, like, look at each other and, like, right in the air or just right. literally <laughs> any kind of code to be like, let's not talk about this right this second. Right. <laughs> How's the weather? Like what, yeah. what what's new? <laughs> the very next day, Jose used a payphone outside of his jail cell to contact Javier Cavarubias. He was ordering the death of Martha Pueblo for her cooperation with the police and because he believed she was going to testify against him in the murder trial and therefore she was a problem and she needed to be dealt with. So one interesting thing about this also is that they had all of this on microphone. They had all of this recorded. Right. But they didn't check the tapes. They didn't bother to listen to him. So they had no clue that he was calling from jail and ordering a hit on this girl. So you... It's infuriating. Yeah. It's super upsetting. So I do wonder actually like how much of jail calls are monitored. Are they only monitored... Are they recorded and then later like if quality happens. assurance? Yeah, yeah like, right. Which, okay, but then that's a lot of murders can be planned. And like, if you don't care about getting caught, really, you just want that person dead for revenge. Well, they're going to be killed before anybody. I feel like that should be someone's job, just yeah. listening to. <laughs> yeah, and it seems like if the whole point of putting a hot mic in the room with them was so that you would catch them saying something, like, right. you you have to listen to it, it if you're yeah. going to catch anything. So, yeah, if, you don't, two. if you're not listening to it, then that defeats the purpose. Right. So during a preliminary hearing for Jose, Martha Pueblo was brought in as a witness because the shooting took place outside of her home. Although Martha may have known that Jose was involved in the murder, she testified that she did not see the shooter. Her testimony either meant nothing to Jose or he was unable to stop the killing that he had ordered because just 11 days after that, Martha would be murdered. On May 12, 2003, at 10.40 p.m., according to a witness, a man approached Martha as she was sitting outside of her home. He allegedly asked her who she was, to which she responded, you know me, I'm Martha. The man then pulled a gun from his sweatshirt and opened fire on the teenager, shooting her multiple times in the head and neck. She was killed instantly. When Martha's parents heard the gunshots, they ran outside to see their daughter's body laying across the sidewalk. According to witnesses, her killer was a Hispanic male between 19 to 25 years old, about 5'8 to 5'10 with a medium build and very short hair and a mustache. They said he appeared to be a gang member. Detectives based their next moves on information from potentially unreliable sources and determined that Martha's killer was a man named Juan Catalan. He was Mario Catalan's brother, and he was present in court the day that Martha Puebla appeared for the preliminary hearing in the murder trial in which his brother was a co-defendant alongside alongside Jose Ledesma. So yeah, he's in court 
for that trial or for the preliminary trial and hears her on up on in court saying, yeah, I didn't see anything. Like, I know I was there, but I didn't see anything. So Juan actually fit the description that the police had already established from the witnesses. He was a 24-year-old Hispanic male with medium build and a mustache and a motive, according to police. They believe that Juan wanted Martha dead to protect his brother Mario from conviction in the murder trial with Jose Ledesma. So lots going on here. Yes. But basically they're saying he killed her because she was going to testify against his brother and that would ruin everything. So on August 12, 2003, officers arrested Juan when he arrived at work. He was shocked that he was being accused of murder. Shocked is the understatement. They, like, in the documentary, they show this, like, really, like, gut-wrenching video of his dad at work. Like, he worked at the same company as his dad, or his dad was the owner, rather. And he's just, like, his dad, you just see him working really hard, and he's, like, going over what happened that day and how his dad comes out and sees him, you know, on the ground being arrested and and you just see him crying like as it's like there's just not even words at that point. It was right. just, oh, it was yeah, so much. Yeah, it was very sad. So when detectives Pinner and Rodriguez brought Juan into an interrogation room and turned on their recorder, Juan begged and pleaded for the officers to believe him and said that he had absolutely nothing to do with Martha's death. But the detectives ignored him and showed him a photo six pack. Actually, they showed him three photo six packs. And they all had his photos circled and witnesses' signatures under mm. them to sign off on this, that that he was who they saw yeah. um, committing this murder. Which, how terrifying is that if you're yeah. like, oh my gosh, three people really think I did this. Right. Yeah. It would be very scary. So, But what Juan didn't know is that the photo six-packs were all faked. Melissa, they were faked. <laughs> I, I don't really... I don't know what to say. It's, I know. I don't so either. three more witnesses' names, right? Right. So they have three more fake witnesses, fake signatures, names of real people right. that now the police are dragging into this exactly. case. Super so scary. the detectives were lying to Juan in hopes of scaring him into a confession in the murder. So if this sounds like a familiar tactic, that's because these same detectives used the same one when they were investigating Chris Vargas's death months prior. So basically what I'm saying is that the photo six-pack that had Martha Puebla's signature on it that they showed to Jose Ledesma was also fake. And the whole entire reason that Martha was murdered was because gang members thought that she was a snitch. And right. um, and it was because these detectives had used her name to bait these guys into confessing. And she really had nothing to do with it. She was never talking to police or cooperating. She was never planning on testifying mm -hmm. um, and incriminating them in court. This was a tactic the police were using to basically just to get a confession. It, it was not based in truth at all. And she would never have had a hit put out on her life if they hadn't done that. And I am... It just makes me so mad because I feel like it's – I found out through this research that it's a thing that police are allowed to lie to people that they have in custody and they can take it very far. They can tell you that people have seen you. They can tell you they have video footage of you. They can DNA. tell you – yeah, DNA, even if they don't have that, which I just think is so sketchy and I just don't feel right about that, especially in cases where it turns out that this person is innocent and – right. I just don't like that type of head game, I guess. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it just would be a really awful situation to find yeah. yourself in. Well, whenever it, there's no, like, their their evidence is like he looks like the guy they think did it. 
that's kind of all the evidence they had against him to then like concoct this whole story is terrifying. So I understand more so in the cases where they're like, yeah, you know, we've got this, we've got DNA. Also, we have somebody that said that they put you there. I understand when they do that because then it kind of puts pressure on them. So I I really feel like I... I get what they're trying to do, but man, if you're wrong on that, you're just ruining someone's life, like completely ruining somebody's life. You're Everything's going to change from this point forward for this guy. So now we have Juan in jail, and he's being charged in Martha Puebla's death. The officer's telling him at this point, which was the most infuriating part to me, that he needed to prove to him that he did not commit this murder. So if there's one thing we know in the U.S., it's, or you should know, um, you do not have to prove your innocence. They have to prove your guilt. And so you are pro- you are assumed innocent until you're proven guilty, period. End of story. That's just how it is. So it just hearing him keep telling him, you have proved to me, prove to me that you didn't do this. Like, no, absolutely not. Right. Prove to me I did this. So at this point, Juan remembers that his cousin had worked with like this really great lawyer and um, his name was Todd Melnick. So Juan desired decided to reach out to Todd Melnick to see if he would represent him. And Todd Melnick was like this guy in the 90s who was on hard copy, probably had a six pack. Um, (laughs) He was just like um, a TV attorney. Like back when they first really started having like um, attorney's opinions on TV and stuff, whenever that whole wave started, right? Right. So um, Melnick actually talked to Juan and he really felt that Juan was innocent and that it was his duty to make sure that he did not spend life in prison for a crime he didn't commit. So at this point, he begins this tedious process of finding proof to get his client acquitted. Uh, The first thing he asked Juan was what he was doing on May 12th. So this is at this point months before. I mean, it was months ago that this murder happened. But his girlfriend, Alma, who is basically the hero of this entire story, she remembered that it was right around Mother's Day and that Juan at that point had bought tickets for his mom to a Dodgers game, Dodgers baseball game, as a Mother's Day gift. Right. Knowing full well, probably, that she was not going to be interested in that. He straight up said, I knew she wouldn't want to go and she would give me the ticket. So he gets credit for Mother's Day and he gets to go to the game. It's genius. It's really smart. Like, if I didn't like this guy so much, it would have irritated me. Right. So his mom doesn't want to go. And so Juan decides to take his six-year-old daughter to the game instead. Juan said that it was really just another Dodgers game. He was a super big fan. And so he'd gone to games before. And um, that night in attendance, there were 27,458 people in the stands. So Juan recalled that the game was tied 4-4 to going into the ninth inning of the game and that the Dodgers had lost that night. He remembered that on his way out of the stadium, he saw a stand of baseball cards and wanted to stop to buy some for his daughter. But without proof of any of this, it's just his word against anyone else's. The right. Detectives have no reason to believe it just because he says these things happened. Um, so Todd Melnick asked Juan's girlfriend, Alma, to look for the tickets to the game from that night. But if she found them, she wasn't supposed to touch them. Just call the attorney and and we'll deal with it from right. here. Um, that would be the most terrifying, like, task to even think about starting to do. Like we said, this was months ago now. Yeah. I don't keep things like that. I'm not going to keep a 
a pair of already used up tickets from, yeah. you know, six months ago laying right. around the house. So I would just be like terrified. Like there's no way I'm going to find that. Like, this is when you would hope like you were a hoarder. Like that was right. your nature. Right. Like, it's going to be there. You just have to find it. And he's doing all this stuff from jail. He's having to talk to her from jail. So it's not like he can, you know, whenever you're like in your own house, in your own element, you're able to think better. But he's like sitting on a busy phone in jail talking through this stuff and trying to think. All he has is time, but it's 60 days in, guys. It's very loud there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So she looked high and low for the tickets, and eventually she found them. Uh, Believe it or not, she found them inside of a Dodgers envelope. And the lawyer was hopeful that this was just what they needed to prove that Juan was at the baseball game and not out murdering Martha Puebla. Uh, But the prosecution had a woman named Beth Silverman on their side, and she was nicknamed the Sniper. Yeah. Yeah. I guess she's proud of that, too. I'm not really sure. But she, her whole claim to fame is that she had never lost a murder case at this point. And she was no notorious for getting um, the death penalty yeah. placed on on these people. So, um, like I said, I guess she's proud of that. I don't know if that's like a, a career um, win when, yeah. you're in, when you're a prosecuting attorney. Maybe it is. I don't know. Um, but – so that would be really scary, I feel like, for Juan. Oh, my goodness. To yeah. know that, like, this is what he's up against, this she's woman. She's never lost, and she sends people to death row. Like, right. oh, my gosh. Yeah. Even knowing this, but I still have a problem with that statistic. If you have never lost a case, you got some people in jail that shouldn't be there. Just statistically, somebody's right. in jail because she wins cases. Right. Period. So she did not believe that Juan had a legitimate alibi and thought that based on the timing of the murder, he could have still been the one who shot Martha that night. And so they moved forward with the case. So Melnick did the only thing he could do at this point, and he decided to contact Dodger Stadium representatives to ask if they would be willing to provide any footage that was captured on the Dodger Vision cameras that night. So Dodger Vision are those cameras that, you know, scan the crowd and when everybody's like doing the wave, which Mandy apparently loves. I learned that at um, the, what did we do? The monster (laughs) truck game. She was so excited. Every time the wave came around, she's like, I can't believe it's happening again. What is happening here? It doesn't take much to, it really doesn't. (laughs) But honestly, that was really lame. The whole thing. I couldn't believe like how slow that was for monster trucks. Come on, monster truck. The first few you're like, yeah. And then after that, you're like, Mm. can you stop? It's another, it's another truck. (laughs) Yeah. I've already seen this show. Thank you. So yeah, I was excited for you. So yeah, you're seeing the kiss cam dancing, all that stuff. So that's the footage he requested. Since he knew at this point, what section Juan and his daughter were sitting in, he focuses his attention on that area while he was looking through hours and hours of footage. So he's searching for any glimpse at this point of Juan in the grandstands. What? a painstaking job that would be. Yeah. I feel like everyone's going to start looking exactly the same after you are staring at this crowd of faces. And it's not like you have high resolution or like you're not – It's you're not even up close really. It's like you're just looking at literally hundreds of faces in a crowd. And so much pressure. (laughs) Yeah. How are you ever – I don't – I mean, I can't imagine. Mm -mm. So anytime a right-handed batter came up, Melnick would meticulously look at each face in the background. Finally, after an exhausting day, Melnick found Juan sitting in a seat, but the resolution was simply high, not high enough to prove in court that it was Juan and not just someone who looked like Juan. But you could see his daughter, and his daughter was adorable, and I could have picked her out of anywhere. And you can't mistake her. No, yes. she was so cute. 
So at some point during all of this, Juan had a revelation, and he remembered that there was some kind of camera crew filming in his section and on his aisle during that game, but he didn't know exactly what or who it was. All he remembered was that there was security personnel blocking the aisle, and he remembered seeing a man walking up and down the stairs doing different takes of the same scene or whatever it was that was being filmed. So Melnick wanted to chase this lead down to the end, so he went back to the stadium and spoke with someone in the relations department who took out the calendar for the stadium's events and things like that and started flipping back to May 12th. So Melnick was shocked to see that there was a production company penciled in on that date, and when he called the contact number that was listed, he realized it was HBO. Can you believe that? That's of all things. It's not just some ranking thing. HBO. Like you're yeah. going to be able, you're getting somewhere. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So from there, uh, Melnick contacted producer Tim Gibbons with HBO, and Tim thought that Todd Melnick was completely insane and he had absolutely no chance of finding Juan on any of the footage. And he also told him that they did not release any pre-production uh footage and that he would have to wait until the show aired. That would be very frustrating. Yeah. I'd be like, do you understand what I'm trying to do here? <laughs> like, I know. But can each, you make an exception? Each for person this? has like a separate job. He's, you know, the attorney and he's like, all that footage is so secret before it's revealed. So you get it, but you're still like, death row? Does that make any yeah. sense to you? Yeah, right. Death row? <laughs> so as it would turn out, the show that was being filmed was no small thing. And I'm going to let Melissa take over this because I know she's bursting at the seams to tell everyone what this is. Yeah. So they were filming an episode of. Curb Your Enthusiasm, one of my absolute favorite shows. Um, So Curb Your Enthusiasm's played for years on HBO. They just actually had their ninth season play this past year. And uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, if you're not familiar with it, is uh, created and starred, starring Larry David, who we already said was from LA. Look, full circle. I brought Yelp the City (laughs) into this and really made it work this week, guys. And um, the particular episode, and Larry David actually created Seinfeld as well. So if you're not familiar with him from Curb Your Enthusiasm, we're probably not friends to start with. But then also he did do uh, create Seinfeld. You've heard of Seinfeld. Mandy's heard of Seinfeld. Heard if of Mandy's it. heard of Seinfeld, <laughs> you should have heard of Seinfeld. So this particular episode, which was titled Carpool Lane, it was season four, episode six. Larry's character, which is Larry, basically, um, he gets tickets to a Dodgers game from his wife, and she doesn't want to go. Bring your friend. His friend, his manager, Jeff, isn't able to go, so he's, like, in a hurry to go to this game. Well, he realizes there's traffic everywhere on the 405, or I don't know. You Californians have, like, numbers for everything, and <laughs> I don't get it. So um, so he's on his way and realizes he's not going to get there unless he can take the carpool lane. So he comes up with the idea to pick up a sex worker. And that way he can ride in the carpool lane and, you know, get there. Literally just to get in the carpool lane. I loved it so much. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, you know, they're having this whole conversation and she realizes realizes he has Dodgers tickets and like, yeah, well, now you're going to bring me because, uh, you know, otherwise I'm going to say something. So Kim Whitley played the part of the sex worker, and she could not believe that they were planning on filming this at Dodger State Stadium, rather that they were doing this with like an actual game going on. This is like totally unprecedented. So when they get there, they realize, you know, they find their seats and everything. But um, the reason they had decided to do it this way is because it's so freaking expensive to get all these extras. I would have done it for free, but um, to make it look like Dodger Stadium's full. Obviously. So that's why they decided to do it during an actual Dodgers game. 
I'm rambling, but I really, this is as much as Mandy's ever let me talk about Seinfeld or Curb Your Enthusiasm. So you'll just have to, just have to deal with it. I'm the editor. Maybe I'll take it out. Maybe I won't. I'm I won't. so glad that they can't hear the sound of me shaking my head at you. Yeah, she's like barely paying attention at this point, <laughs> but I think she might have a fever, so I'll give it to her. So at some point in the middle of the game, Juan's daughter asked him to get snacks. So he takes her up to the concession stands. And Juan remembered that when they go to return to their seats, there was a camera crew on the aisle. And even though like they're stopping everyone from going to the aisle, going down to the aisle, because they're actually filming a scene at this point, um, there's this PA who says, you know, who lets Juan and his daughter go back to their seats. And that PA was like, on the, in the documentary, he was like, I must have been really terrible at my job. But it says he's still a PA, so he's yeah. still doing work. <laughs> he, like, he's a terrible PA, wonderful miracle worker. So um, there is actually crystal clear footage, and it's the most – when you're watching this documentary, if you watch it, I just had chills watching it, Oh, right? yeah, absolutely. So you see, like, Larry, who – Juan has no idea who this man is. They walk right past each other. Larry walks to the top, does his hands up in a Larry David fashion, like, oh, don't clap for me kind of thing totally crystal clear and they actually show him on two other tapes crystal clear hbo footage amazing so todd melnick uh, of course juan's lawyer asked the production company if there was any way that they could tell exactly what time the tapes were filmed and learned that there was an electric timestamp built in so the first one was at 8 55 p.m and the last scene was at 9 15 unfortunately the murder of martha puebla took place at 10 32 p.m so the prosecution alleged that Juan would have had time to leave the stadium and make it back to Martha's neighborhood in that amount of time. And it also didn't help that Juan, by his own admission, was on the same street as the murder about 150 yards away at about 1043 p.m., dropping off his cousin, who also had been at the game with him. There's just so much in this story that it's like the odds of any of this happening are so insanely right. like just craziness like yeah for all these things to line up the way that they did so melnick wasn't giving up on his client just yet and he asked juan to provide his credit card and phone records from that night he knew that juan's girlfriend alma had mentioned that she had tried calling juan several times to ask if the game was over and if he could just find proof of those phone calls then he would be able to hopefully figure out what cell phone tower they were pinging off of and then be able to prove Juan's location. So this is a little trick that Melnick learned um, from being a commentator in the O.J. Simpson case. And right. he said he remembered that was how they found O.J. was because they were using cell phone towers to determine what his location was. Right. So he was going to try and apply this same idea to um, to help Juan. So sure enough, he um, they did find – that he was his phone was pinging off of a tower that was right across the street from Dodger Stadium and that tower had a radius of about 1 mile so they could prove that he, with pretty decent accuracy that right. he was at the stadium until at least 10:12 p.m. So the judge in this case was named Leslie Dunn and she really talked about how much she struggled with this case. She knew that Juan was looking at the death sentence and if he was convicted and that obviously was weighing really heavy on her. In the preliminary hearing, she had to decide if she was going to send this case to a jury trial or if she was going to go ahead and make the decision to dismiss the case right then and there. She put tons of time into this and even took the interrogation tapes home with her so she could listen to them at home. She had her kids listen to them. They never talked about how old her kids were. Was this appropriate? I kind of don't care because she was really just working on making the best decision for this case. And she said she was actually anguished about this case. 
So ultimately, she ruled in Juan's favor. Thank you, small children, five-year-olds and four-year-olds maybe that had to listen to that interrogation tape. Um, (laughs) And he was released from jail after spending five and a half months there for a crime he did not commit. Um, He... There's this footage after, you know, they say, yeah, there's no trial. And actually in the documentary, do you remember Juan saying to his attorney, like his attorney's like, this is good. But yeah, it was really touching. And so, and then, um, like you said about the footage of him leaving jail, it was just the sweetest thing. Um, his little daughter, his little girl out there and, and they're like, oh, go hug your daddy. And oh my gosh, he just picks her up and hugs her. And it's just the sweetest thing ever. Yeah. All the feelings (laughs) during all of that. So, um, his family asked him like, as they're leaving, like, what is the one thing you want? Like, we'll get you anything. And he's like, you know what I want? I want a Coke. And that is a man after my own heart. So um, Melody S in our Facebook group, she works for Coca-Cola. And I thought, man, I wonder if they like hooked him up after that. Because, you know, you've got to be like, well, that's a great, that's great advertisement. In the aftermath of this case, former United States attorney Deborah Wong Yang publicly stated that gang members had murdered Martha Puebla because she had witnessed gang-related activity and was cooperating with police. Of course, as we talked about a little bit before, that was not even true. That was just the story that I guess they were trying to go with um, for whatever reason. So four other men, all members of the Violent Boys gang, were found guilty in connection with this case. And all four of them took deals in federal court for life in prison without the possibility of parole. Um, I guess the sniper didn't didn't prosecute that case. Maybe. Or maybe she just became like a little Nerf gun shooter. Yeah. (laughs) So Juan was awarded $320,000 in a lawsuit against the LAPD. And I guess for five and a half months in jail, that's decent. I feel like you can't put a price on it. Yeah. Let's not even go there. Cause yeah. (laughs) How do you, how do you put a price tag on that? No. Although those idiots on 60 days in do that for free. I can't even imagine. Yeah. I basically think if you sign up for 60 days in, you probably belong there because why else would you do this? What's wrong with you? (laughs) So detectives Pinner and Rodriguez admitted to asking Juan questions to try to obtain an incriminating response and to tricking him by putting a circle around his picture in the photo six packs. They were both removed from working homicide cases. Thank goodness. I bet they're on like art detective detail. They are. Uh, (laughs) I can't remember exactly, but one of them was moved to like an auto detail or something really like Not nearly as prestigious as homicide investigation, which clearly they weren't cut out for. Um, So a federal jury found that they were negligent and violated Martha's constitutional rights. uh, And Martha's family's attorney stated that Martha Pueblo was murdered because the LAPD put a bullseye on her back by telling a gang member that she was a snitch. So that's basically what happened to Martha Pueblo. And like I said, it just makes me so mad. I could not now she's say, got angry eyebrows. I can't say it enough times how mad it makes me that they did that. And like they didn't even inform her family. They didn't tell them this is our plan. We're yeah. going to use your daughter's name. I mean, this is a 16-year-old. I would, would be furious if I was her parents. Yeah, yeah. They had n- no protection, nothing. They had no idea what was coming for them. But I guarantee right now, even in Mandy's midst of anger, if I was to start the wave at this table, she would be forced <laughs> to join me. <laughs> And do the wave. There you go. So that is our case on Martha Puebla and Jose and the long shot and Juan Larry and Larry David and, and Seinfeld and Curb Your Enthusiasm. We had all the things this week. So before we leave you guys for the week, um, we are going to do a couple of last thing before we goes. Melissa, are you ready for this? I'm ready, Mandy. All right. We're just going to time ourselves in our head. <laughs> <That> sounds so <laughs> dumb. 
No one can police us on this. This no We make can. the rules. Okay. So the first one that we're going to talk about um, comes to us from Paula D. And she wants to know what baby gear we think is a waste of money. Mandy's going to be so excited about this. Mandy, on my imaginary clock, on your mark, get set, go. I think most baby items are a waste of money. Um, no, but the, the worst thing I can even think of is a wipe warmer. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You don't need a warm bum. Sorry. I don't no. get one. You don't get one. If you if they come out of the womb and immediately get accustomed to like things like having warm wipes on their little precious tiny bum, what kind of life are you setting them up for? Really? I know. Not one that's sustainable. I can tell you that much. <laughs> I can't keep up with that. Yeah. So like when you go somewhere else and you do you have to bring the wipe warmer to you and you know, like in the bathroom somewhere to do that, then they're going to be shocked and angry. And then what about, yeah. Like, and what about the times when there's no warm wipe and it's just going to be a, a harsh Is it like spa check? day some days and then other right. days you're just. <laughs> I remember actually one time I went to when um, my oldest was a baby, I had a friend who had a baby um, like five days after he was born. And so um, I went over there one day and I had said I needed to change his diaper and she said, oh, well, there's wipes in there and they're warm. And that was really my first experience with wipe warmers. Yeah. <laughs> Even then I thought it was kind of crazy, but um, I used it. Maybe it was my son's best diaper change of his life. I, I know. know. It could have changed his life. It could have shaped who he was as a person, Mandy. <laughs> <laughs> Melissa, what do you think is a waste of money baby item? So my biggest one is the little pee-pee cover. And I, for little boys, um, I did not buy one. Somebody gave me one and I was like, sure, I'll try this. That's just fighting another thing. Another thing you have to deal with in the midst of like pee and poop everywhere. I feel like your induction into the boy mom world is just like getting Getting a little pee in your eye. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You get a little bit in there. You're part of the gang now, guys. So that is the biggest Please save your money. They're called PPTPs. PPTPs. <laughs> they look adorable. They're the cutest little yeah, things, but like, I, know, but I don't cutest, need another thing. No, and you learn really quickly when you have a baby, when you're doing diaper changes, you just get in and out of there as fast as possible. I don't, I never was one who would sit there and do all this pampering Singing and, and talking. And- oh, no, yeah, exactly. No, you just. There's a mission and I we're mean, here to do it. I would like put the new diaper on before I really even had the old diaper all the way oh, off. Oh, I know what you're talking like, about. You, know, you, you have just- it like under the other one. So you <laughs> yeah, wipe so all and you have move. to do is rip that one out and you put this one on and you're good to go and, and you cover it up. So yeah. that's how you avoid getting peed on, guys. Not these little expensive. Mm-mm. As soon as the cold air gets on them, it, they're peeing. It's just going to happen when they're small. Yeah. Yeah, I got peed on. You need the warm wipes. Maybe, maybe we're doing both of these things wrong. (laughs) When my son was born, I immediately he peed on me twice before like they even handed him to me, and I was like, something is wrong with this child. (laughs) And you guys for not getting him in a diaper. He's done this twice now, and that was a good introduction to my son for sure. There you go. (laughs) So the next one is from Erica B, and she wants to know what our travel bucket list is if we did not have to worry about money or childcare if our dream vacation happens to be kid-free um a kid-free vacation does sound lovely i will say that what would yours both ways be one with kids one without kids oh you want me to list two different ones okay uh so without kids just give me a beach destination just a beautiful beach i want to go see all the beaches i would go to bora bora i will go to australia i will go to hawaii um I love the beach. That's really – I'm a simple, simple woman. I don't need a lot. Yeah. Just give me a beach and yeah. and that's it, really. Yeah. I'm, I get it. I get it. So you what know? would your bring your children along for the fun be? So I 
think I would probably want to take them to some kind of national park, like maybe the Grand Canyon. This won't be happening until they are much older because going to the Grand Canyon with a five-year-old and eight-year-old sounds completely horrifying. Yeah. Um, Sounds like somebody will be in the middle of the canyon before you leave. Yeah, yeah. Um, So things like that or like Niagara Falls. I would love to take them to Niagara Falls. Um, I've gone twice and it's absolutely gorgeous. So I would do things like that with the kids, more of like an experience. Go get to see yeah. nature's beauty, I yeah. guess, if you will. I love that idea. I would agree with all of that when they're a little bit older. I think right now mine would be a Disney cruise, which that sounds like – Wouldn't we all love to go on a Disney cruise? Honestly. But I have friends that have done it, and that's like one goal I have in the next couple of years is to do the Disney cruise. But it just – it's all-inclusive. Give me all the food. That's all I really care about is just – eating constantly um but then they have like their little island that they bring you to and so you have like your own little beach resort area and then i don't know and they're good with food allergies which is always like a thing in my house so that's like my dream and it seems like there's a lot of stuff for the kids to do because of course cruises yeah yeah, cruises not geared towards kids are kind of terrible if i've done that before when my daughter was two and it was terrible and you know this is terrible but you know how they um like on cruises, they'll give you like when you order something for room service, you have to order the whole thing. So like if it's a fruit cup, you can't say like, can I have grapes? They're like, oh, no, there there's grapes in there. So you can have that. So my daughter was like, sorry, constipated. And she was two. And I was like, I just need a lot of grapes. And I was, they were like, I can't just give you grapes. I'm like, well, oh then goodness. I want nine fruit cups. <laughs> like shoving those down her throat but I felt so bad I'm like I don't want to be wasteful so um so we ate the rest it just took us a little bit of time um and the vacation I would do on my own with my husband um I would love to go to Turks and Caicos because I love Bravo and all those women go there and I feel like they're not that classy I'm not that classy so I feel like I would belong (laughs) just fine yeah like they wouldn't be like who is this I'd be like well I saw last season of <laughs> Real Housewives of OC. They were here and I was much classier. And they have like the whole um, beach thing with the water and like the – you can <laughs> the beach thing with the water. With the water. Yeah. No, like the um, huts that have the floor that you can see the water right underneath oh, you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really pretty. Yeah. So that, that sounds amazing. I will yeah, probably I never, ever do that unless – Turks and Caicos wants to sponsor us. Will a country sponsor us? <laughs> this is my cry for help. I don't know how anything works. So anyway, oh my gosh, let's wrap this up. We need to bring the timer back. Um, there you go. So thank you guys so much for listening to this week. I think this second episode probably turned out better than the first. I agree. Yeah, I agree. so Take it's almost was, worth it. It was, yeah. Almost. But this episode will be released in five hours. <laughs> So if anything's wrong with it, ignore it because really we're doing the best we can, guys. Right. This was really, really – we always think we can't get any more down to the wire. Yeah. And then somehow we do. So somehow we do. Just the play. it won't get any worse than this. Yeah. Um, so thanks for listening this week, guys. Don't forget to check us out on all of our social media platforms. We're on Twitter at Moms and Murder, uh, Facebook.com slash Moms and Red Rum. And then we're also on Instagram – all those fun things. Um, our Patreon page is at patreon.com slash moms and murder podcast. You can come check out some of the different things that we offer to our patrons. Um, oh, we're covering something fun this week. We are, Mandy and I both watched Love Island, yes. which is like a British, a British dating. 
ish yeah. kind of show. Yeah. It's golden. It's, I can't wait to talk about this. Mandy thinks it's great. So yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have that up in the next few days. So yeah, so check us out over there for all the goodies and stuff we have. Goodies. All right, and don't forget to um, rate us. Uh, it's getting hot in this room, and we don't know what we're saying anymore. <laughs> so forget to rate, subscribe, share with a friend, all of those things yeah. that we say every single week. So um, thanks, guys. We'll see you next week. Take care. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.